0: Let's come back together and find our seats. You ready to dive into Daniel chapter 1? Thank you. As I look around in seating arrangements, thank you for following social distancing and, and working hard on that. It's been, it's been crazy times, hasn't it? But we're inside again this week, which is a wonderful thing. I'd just like to thank the, the worship team, the sound crew, the tech crew, the setup crew, um, They were getting here very early in the morning when we were outside, and then today they had to because you have to move everything and rewire everything, and um, and we don't know where we're going to be next week. Well, we're going to be on campus somewhere, um, but we are working through some of the, the laws and regulations. A whole new set of orders came out Friday that are, are take effect tomorrow, and so we are working through those, and it, it, it's been crazy to me just how pertinent Daniel 1 was to my week. And and as I was dealing with, um, different authorities, and I talked to the state this week, and the city, and the county, and trying to figure out even what we could do today legally, um, I I kept having to come back to Daniel 1. And and so I would, I would talk with them, then I'd read Daniel 1, and it would be a, a check for me of my attitude, because quite frankly, it's hard to have a good attitude with some of the things happening. And, and it's, it's hard, at least for me, it's hard not to get a little frustrated. It's hard not to feel like um, I can shepherd well when we don't know even what the rules are and how to protect from the heat and how to do those things. And, it's, and the, the moving bar is frustrating, but yet Daniel 1 kept, kept being an anchor for me this week of coming back to this is how an example of honoring God and honoring government should look. You know, we hear in the news, we hear all kinds of different approaches. Some churches haven't opened yet. Because they are, are trying to, to follow the guidelines that way. Some churches have opened and just haven't said anything, and our meeting is normal. Some churches are openly defying government and holding press conferences and all that. And there's a whole range of decisions that have to be made. We outlined as a church what our four guiding principles would be through this. First and foremost, we love God, we love God well, and we honor him. Secondly, we love each other, and so we take precautions. We're distanced this morning, primarily because we love each other and don't want to be a a super-spreader event. That's not the notoriety we really are looking for. Third, (laughs) peaceful protest. Yeah, there's all kinds of opinions, right? Um, Third, we want to do nothing that compromises our testimony or the testimony of the gospel. And that's really important, and that's an element I don't hear a lot of people talking about But if there's a course of action that would mar our testimony or mar the name of Jesus, even if we have the right to do it, Paul says we give up those rights for the sake of the gospel. And so that's one of the considerations that we have constantly had through this. And finally, the last consideration and the one that maybe is the the hardest at times is we want to honor our authorities. And we want to respect our authorities and as much as possible do things in a legal way orderly way now the question comes up sometimes when do you defy when do you go against that and we've talked about that as an elder board at length at what point do we say enough is enough and and we're going to see daniel's going to deal with that several times in fact today that's going to come up in the passage that that point has to be when it becomes sin and and when we are asked to sin in some way and we'll 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 deal with that a little bit more But those are the principles that we want to keep in mind. And today's text really deals with two of those. How do we love God well, honor God, follow His instructions, and how do we at the same time honor government and authorities well? And so we we want to dive in to this extraordinarily pertinent passage as we look at Daniel chapter 1. If you missed our introduction last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Get the historical context of the book, because it is powerful to understand the book when we understand what is happening in history and world affairs and what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing and Babylon and and all the, the things that are happening. But the big picture, and I want to remind us of the big picture of Daniel, is that Yahweh is most high. Yahweh is most high. weren't the songs great this morning, worship team? just all about the power of God, the authority of God. Yahweh is most high. And every attempt by man, rulers, or kingdoms to usurp him will be defeated and brought low as God's kingdom and those who stand with him will rule forever. And that's the big picture that all of these chapters are going to fit into. And so we, we opened up to Daniel chapter 1 last week, looked at verses 1 and 2 and some of that background and we know that King Nebuchadnezzar had just come and, and he had overtaken Jerusalem, defeated Jehoiakim and made Jehoiakim sort of a puppet king, a vassal. And, and he, he took away the vessels of the house of God. He took away the holy items out of the temple from Jerusalem, took them to Babylon and put them in front of his God, probably Marduk, maybe Bel or some people say it's the same one, Bel-Marduk. Put them in front of his God and said, Ha! Yahweh is underneath my God. My God is greater. My God is stronger. And that is a dangerous thing to, to do. A dangerous place to be. Now, you and I think, well, I never do that with my vessels. I, I, don't, I haven't taken stuff from the church and put it in front of a shrine or, or an idol. No, we do this in other ways. We do this with our own lives where we bow to other things other than God or we prioritize other things other than God or when we worry and are concerned because we don't really understand our God is Most High and He is sovereign. All of those things are ways we do the same thing. And so then we're in, we're in, we're in four chapters here, the Neb Chronicles, where we will, we will walk along with Nebuchadnezzar as he begins to understand what it means that Yahweh is most high. And in chapter 1, we have the first step in that, and the first confrontation. And we're going to see a series of confrontations. And this confrontation has to do with the king's way of doing things that he thinks is best, and Yahweh's way of doing things, the way that he knows is best and has defined as best. And those two come into conflict in the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 1. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to do verses 3 to the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 3. And as you're turning there, I want to read a a psalm that gives us just a little bit of the background here of what Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the other young men and women, what they might have been feeling. The psalmist in Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon... There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And so we see the angst there of a people in captivity, a people that have been torn from their land, from their families, from their life, from their faith in ways that we can hardly understand. And so we come to these young men and the story of these young men in verse 3 as we see just some some lessons on conflict with government from the life of Daniel. Point number one is the pressure to compromise. The pressure to compromise. It's the taking and indoctrinating of the best that we see in this. And this is, okay, how did these young men get to be in Babylon? Babylon. And verse 3 says, Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And we see in those first two verses right from the start, how they came to be in Babylon. And we talked about this last year, that King Nebuchadnezzar, one of his policies, and, and it was pretty common at the time, is you would take the best and the brightest from a country and take them into your own country. And that is what is happening here. Aspenez the chief eunuch, that, that could mean the, the chief official as well. Doesn't mean necessarily that, that they all became eunuchs, but that was possible. But they would take a few choice hostages. Why take them? I think that's a valid question for us to to use our imaginations as we've talked about and, and get into the text. Why take these young men? And some of the reasons we know, one of them was, if you take the best and brightest out of a country, what are they missing? The best and brightest, they're leaders. And so you basically drain away, siphon away leadership from that country you bring them into yours, and now you basically have hostages. But the other thing that often happened is if you could indoctrinate them and say, look at how good life is here, now suddenly they don't want to go back, or if they do, they are friendly to your country. And so this was a very strategic ploy to take over a country, have a vassal nation that wouldn't rebel. And so this was a a common thing to do. Think of some of the requirements if you you look at verse 4. Youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. And then what they're going to do is teach them the literature and language. So you had to be young. You had to be of noble descent. These were quite possibly of a king's descent. Some have suggested that possibly King Hezekiah's descendants are here. One of the reasons for that is as we studied Isaiah, I know that you all remember every verse of Isaiah. In Isaiah 39, one of the prophecies to King Hezekiah, and listen to this, And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of King Babylon. That was written before any of this happened. And that probably th- this probably is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Yet another indication that Yahweh is most high. And so they had to have this noble blood, this royal blood, handsome without disfigurements. They had to be the the most beautiful, the most handsome. They had to be intelligent, wise, knowledgeable. They had to present themselves well because they would be serving the king. They had to have an ability to serve. And these were the young men that were taken. Now, I know we have some young men in here. Um, If you're a young man in the room between 13 and 16, would you stand up? Congratulations. You four are the ones we're sending. (laughs) Two of them are mine. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I like this deal. (laughs) Village? That was probably the age that went. So if we're to picture this, if we're to understand the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, think Bill, Nate, Mark, Jeff. And this was the age that they were ripped away from families, taken to a foreign land, and confronted with, do I compromise or do I stand for God? Right? Oh no, we're not ready to do that until we're much older. Hogwash. You four young men are ready to stand for God now and lead the way. And that's, that's what these young men did. And so the best and the brightest, they're taken. And then what, what does it say is going to happen to them? They're going to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Also in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so what were they asked to do? They were asked to enter a three-year re-education program. And and the ages 13 to 15, 13 to 16, that was typical in Persia of when young men would enter training, a three-year training, to become a scribe or a, a, a servant of the court. And so this wasn't, wasn't targeted at Israel. They sort of brought them into their indoctrination system and said, okay, you're part of us now. And everything there was designed to make these young men feel like Babylonians. They they were to learn the language uh, of Babylon, the literature, and that would teach history, that would teach religion, that would um, debase every other god and lift up Marduk and their gods. They were to, to study these things, to learn these things. The language, it probably was either Akkadian or Aramaic, Depends, Aramaic was more the Chaldeans. If you view this as the Babylonians, it was probably Akkadian, doesn't matter. Um, but they had to learn another language. This was all part of indoctrination. It's a pressure to change their thinking. If you hear something long enough, you start to believe it, whether it's true or not. Resisting going into politics on that one. <laughs> and they, they heard this, and heard this and heard this for three years. The Chaldeans were the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers. These were the advisors to the king. So we're going to see Daniel and friends lumped into that a little bit. They needed to stay strong, though. They needed to be so grounded in their faith at the beginning of their teen years that they could stand against this kind of pressure. And understand what's happening here. It's, it's systematic. There's isolation. There's isolation from people, from family and and land. There's indoctrination. Then there's compromise offered that looks very appealing. And then assimilation follows. And we're going to see that even in their names and, and the renaming. Eating from the king's table. That often was a sign of showing loyalty to a king. But hey, it was the best food. You like barbecue? Eat from the king's table. You want the best drink? Drink from the king's goblets. This, to the king, was the best way to keep people healthy, to grow them into servants that would serve him. And so they received rations from the king, which implied that you would be loyal to the king in everything. Verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And here the narrator Brings onto the scene the characters we're so familiar with that we love, Daniel. You understand Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We use those all the time, right? That is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we're going to see here. Now there were certainly more, but these are the four main characters that are going to show up in the first six chapters of, of Daniel. And so he brings them up, and and then in verse seven, and the chief of eunuchs gave them names, and this is so key to what's happening. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Why change names? Give me, give me some input. We can talk. Why would you change someone's name? Change the way they think? Eliminate the past. Names had meaning. And, and as you can guess, we're going to go into the meanings. <laughs> because that's really significant. I also think it's a way to show authority over something. What did did God have Adam do to the animals when he was to to rule over them? He named them. And so to name something is to have authority over it. And so that's part of this. Change their name, it showed authority. It was also probably convenient because people were used to Babylonian names. It's a way of assimilating them into culture. The Babylonians were the first Borg. Sorry for those that don't get that reference. And so we have these names that are changed. The first one is Daniel. And Daniel, we talked about last week, meant God is my judge. Uh, And and whenever you see an L as part of a name, that has to do with Elohim. It's a shortened form of Elohim. Whenever you see Yah in a name, in a Hebrew name, that was shortened for Yahweh. And so they would bring the names of God into their names. and, And Daniel meant God is my judge. But they changed his name to Belteshazzar, which basically was saying that Bel is my master, this other other king, this other god, rather. Shadrach, his name was Hananiah. Hananiah meant Yahweh has acted graciously. But Shadrach, it means I am fearful of Aku. And Aku was their moon god. Some think maybe this was shortened for another one of their gods, but Aku, their moon, one of their gods is enough for us. So Yahweh has acted graciously versus I'm afraid of Yaku That means something. Meshach was Mishael. And Mishael meant who is what God is or there is no one like our God, which should be a song. Um, and, and there is no one like Yahweh. There is no one like our God. And they changed his name to Meshach, which meant there is no one like Aku. Tell me there's not intentionality in these new names. And they countered names of, of, of praise to God and praise to Yahweh with praising their own gods. Who is what Aku is like? There is no one like Aku. Abednego, um, his name was Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. And Abednego means servant of the shining one or Nabu, another one of their gods. And so the naming showed authority, but it had meaning to try to say, your God is nothing. Our gods are everything. You're in a new land now. You're Babylonian now. The most high is King Nebuchadnezzar and our gods. Forget this Yahweh silliness. That is what is happening here. And so this all becomes a pressure to compromise. Do I fit into culture? Do I take on these names? Do I eat this food? Do I act in this way? And, and for young men that are thrown into this, that had to be incredible pressure because they were taken and they were indoctrinating. But these men served the Most High and the Most High enabled them to be different. And so we come to the next point, the next section of the text. The moral dilemma. It's point number two. God or the king. The moral dilemma, God or the king, verses 8 through 10. And in verse 8 we read, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And let's just stop there for a minute take the, the first part of, of 8. We see Daniel's resolve. And we see two ways that Daniel's going to deal with this. We're going to see his resolve and then his humble, honoring approach. What did he resolve? I will not defile myself. Now we can ask, why, why didn't the others speak up? It's probably not because they were compromising. Probably Daniel was the leader here. He was the spokesman, and he's speaking for this group, certainly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, he resolved not to defile himself. And that word for resolved is a strong word That says, I have purposed, I have decided, I have chosen that I will not defile myself with something that is sinful. And and the implication here of defile is that this, whatever it is, is spiritual in nature. And so he is not going to defile himself with sin. He is not going to fall into sin. And sin can can be two different directions. And and in in all this, we've talked about this as an elder board, sin is can be being asked or or doing something that is contrary to God's will, right? God says, don't do this. We do this. That's sin. That's what we think of most, right? God says not to steal. We steal. That's sin. The other side of this is sin also. We know this from James and, and just understanding Scripture. Sin also is not doing something that God has commanded. So it is doing something that God has said not to do, But it is also sin to not do something that God has commanded us to do. God commands us to love one another. If we don't love one another, that's sin. That's not a personality trait. That's sin. And and, and so we have these two aspects of sin. This one appears to fall in the first category where Daniel and friends are being asked to do something that defiles their conscience, that defiles their walk with God, and somehow is sinful because God has prohibited this. Now, now, we don't quite know what the issue was. And, and undoubtedly you've heard all kinds of options because it has to do with the king's food. It has to do with the king's wine. And, and there are a number of, of possibilities, three major possibilities. The first possibility is that perhaps this was unclean that because we know that they weren't allowed to eat pork. We know that horse meat was part of this. Can't wait for those horse meat burgers today. Um, We know that horse meat was on the king's table. So there were certain things that they were certainly prohibited from eating in in Levitical law. But wine wasn't one of those. And so what is this about the food and the wine? And we know later Daniel ate some of the things from the king's um, table. Um, So that's one of the possibilities. And that... it's probably a combination of these that, that piled on to where Daniel finally said, I, I cannot do this. Another possibility is that these were, were quite probably food and drink offered to idols. Um, if they were from the king's table, they probably were offered to idols in, in some sort of ceremony there. And then they came to um, Daniel and friends and the other people that were getting portions from the king. And so quite possibly Daniel was like, my faith in God doesn't, Allow me to do this. Um, The third option that a lot of commentaries, and and commentaries are sort of split on these, the third option is eating with someone in in Eastern culture meant an association, a loyalty to someone. And so to eat the king's portion was to say, I support the king. And and they are now my ally. I am now um, associating myself with the king. It's a covenant friendship. And so maybe that was why. All in all with those things, could Daniel have justified eating the food? Absolutely. We're taken away. It's against our will. If we don't eat, we die. Little things like that. Um, He could have justified it, but this was a spiritual line in the sand for him. That he said, no, the food is too far. Now notice something. Notice what what he didn't stand up to. And this is really important. He didn't stand up to the change of the names. He didn't stand up to learning the language. He didn't stand up to learning about foreign gods. All things that are certainly reprehensible, but they didn't cross the line into forcing him to sin. And so Daniel doesn't stand up and defy on reprehensible things. He doesn't do that on things he doesn't like. He doesn't do that on things that are, are inconvenient. He does it on something that is a sin issue. Does that inform our actions today? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so many times we defy and we stand up against government on things that aren't sin issue just because we don't like it. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about legal means like writing letters and voting. I'm talking about disobedience and defying. Okay, so that makes sense, the difference? I think every individual should be voting. You should be writing your representatives, writing your authorities, and we should be standing for what is right and against what is reprehensible. But when it comes to civil disobedience, it must be a sin issue. It must be. And so we see that We'll see that later in Daniel as well. But we see that by what he chose to stand against. But he chose and resolved to stand for God. And if if you wanted these two categories, you could say he resolved and he requested. He resolved not to defile. What are we resolved to do? I respect this young man for saying, I will not violate my conscience. Jonathan Edwards wrote some of his resolutions down when he was a young man as well. And, and I think, I think it, would, it would do us well to do the same. He wrote, Resolved never to do any matter of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. Resolved that I will live just so, so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. That's a tongue twister. Basically, that I will do what I I wanted to do when I was old. Resolved never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. And he had these resolutions to give glory to God, to fight evil, to number his days. And so now in context of that resolution, in the first half of verse 8, how did Daniel approach it? Did he stand up and hold a press conference and did he gather people to his side and have a peaceful protest no let's read his approach daniel's humble honoring approach because it is convicting in many ways therefore in the middle of eight therefore because of his resolution he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself what no no he should be telling him he should be demanding. Unfortunately, God's word says he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Just a side note as we go through Daniel, look for the words and God gave. And God gave. They are key words to the supremacy of God, to the sovereignty of God. Who gave? daniel favor god gave daniel favor it tells us god was working and so daniel asks this he requests this he takes an honorable approach rather than an angry approach and that was convicting for me this week quite frankly i was angry at times he was respectful he followed protocol Verse 9, I, I love that verse 9 is in there too, that, that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the, in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. He and his friends already had a good reputation with leadership, with authority. And so because of the type of men that they were, the type of young men they were, how they lived life, they already had a good reputation. Do you think that becomes a good foundation for working with authorities to do what's right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they're, the way that they live life, God used for future purposes. Their actions before this set up a possible winning situation. You know, I, I think of this even in terms of some of you with your work situations. Sometimes you say, well, I need Sundays off or I need Wednesday nights off or whatever it is. Sometimes your reputation with your boss goes a long way into whether you're going to get that or not. And, and, and that is really key here, that the life that they lived was a life of respect, of honor to authorities, where the authorities wanted to say yes. Now, in this case, the authority actually says no. But the, the, the implication here is he still wishes he could have said yes. We're going to see that a little bit later in Daniel 2 because they had compassion. And actually reading between the lines, it looks like he arranged it to where they could get their way without him being um, on the hook for it. We'll get to that. So Daniel asks and he requests. In verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord the king who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king? Now what's cool here is there's communication. There's interaction. Daniel is making his request. But then he needs to listen to the chief of eunuchs. What's the chief of eunuchs' big concern? I do this, I lose my head. If I present people that, that aren't healthy, I haven't done my job. And for you and I, maybe that's being laid off or fired. For him, it's... And so he has a legitimate concern here. Fair enough? Now if Daniel just walked on and said, who cares about your concern? That is a dishonoring way to deal with authorities. And so now this sets up this this dilemma. This, This sets up a problem. We have a legitimate concern by the authority. We have Daniel who has resolved not to defile himself and he's trying to be honorable. And he gets turned down. But we're going to see in the next section that doesn't discourage him, that doesn't stop him. He is going to find a win-win alternative as he honors government and loves God at the same time. Out of point two, though, I want to affirm that God honors our resolve to purity, to holiness, to stand for Him. God will honor that resolve. I'm not talking with wealth and health and that we always get our way. I'd rather have honor in heaven than here on earth any day. But God will honor it. And God will watch out for His servants. When I think of people that have taken stands like this or resolved, it's inspiring, isn't it? It's inspiring to see Daniel and these other young men taking this stand. Just a few years ago, story came out in the, in the press. Anyone watch HGTV? I, I've got to admit, it's one of our go-tos. It can just be on in the background, and, um, but that show may have cost us more money on the house than any other. But um, <laughs> a few years ago, twin brothers David and Jason Benham were five weeks into filming their, their reality TV show about flipping houses with HGTV. And HGTV pulled the plug. A liberal watchdog website said the brothers had spoken out in favor of traditional marriage and that their father was a pro-life activist. All this was true. These are are, um, Bible-believing Christians that are actively serving God. So there was a social media campaign to pressure HGTV to cancel the show, and it worked. Now, the brothers were given an opportunity to, to apologize, to change things, and still keep their TV show. They refused. They refused to give in to political correctness, responding, if our faith costs us a television show, then so be it. Just as Daniel refused to bend and defile himself, these brothers stood for what they believed. That's cool. Those are examples for us to follow, to stand for what is right, and to stand against sin. So then the story starts to move a little quicker from here because we get the solution and the results. Point number three, the solution. The solution. Creatively find ways to follow God and honor authorities. Creatively find ways to follow God and honor authorities. It is so easy to to think only this dichotomy of I can only honor God or I can honor authorities. And, And we think of this as absolutes that cannot coexist. In most cases, in most cases, we can follow God and honor authorities. We don't have to jump to one or the other if we actively pursue both. Listen to Daniel's solution in eleven thirteen. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel. Now, some say, well, Daniel's going around the leadership here. A lot of commentaries say, no, the, the chief would have known what was going on. And quite possibly, he sent Daniel to this other guy to to cover his political tail end and, um, and he, because he liked Daniel. He respected Daniel. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here's his solution. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. I, I think he's lost his mind with that, but okay. <laughs> Vegetables to eat, water to drink, not even Dr. Pepper. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so Daniel here, he comes up with a solution that honors the authority over him, actually. He recognizes this guy's head is on the line literally and so he honors him and he he has communicated enough to find out the issue is how do we appear before the king? The issue isn't whether or not we can eat certain food. The issue is we have to appear before the king healthy and intelligent. And so he comes up with a solution and he says, 10 days, which I I don't know how 10 days is enough for this other than the power of God. And and he's inspired by God to say this. Test your servants for 10 days. Give us vegetables, eat, to water, drink, then bring us in. Bring these four guys in from village and then bring the other 20 guys in that you you have elsewhere and look at them. If they're healthier, let us continue. If they're not, we don't want you to lose your head. Then, Then don't. This is an extraordinary act of faith because it is leaving something up to, some would say, chance. I would say to the sovereignty of God that Daniel didn't know what the outcome would be. But he trusted the Most High. He had determined and resolved not to defile himself. He found a solution that would honor God and honor government, and he trusted God with the result of that. Brilliant. Brilliant. This is one of the texts we use even in, in, when I was taking business classes for how to think through win-win solutions and how to, to create coalitions. But he knew that the leader's life was in danger. He went and said, here's a way that, quite frankly, makes you look good and honors Yahweh. But he had to trust that after 10 days, they weren't killed or they weren't forced to eat different food. And so we get to point number four, the test. The test. Will the Most High come through? And, and, and in theory, we can sit here and we can sing songs and we can say, we know Yahweh's the Most High, right? We know that. I don't think there's anyone in this room that would deny that God is the Most High. But when it comes to actually putting feet to that and testing that, do we act like, do we really know that? And, and th- Daniel's on the line here. Will the Most High come through? 14 through 16. So he listened to them in the matter, the steward. He listened to them in the matter, tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance, fatter in the flesh. That means healthier. Okay? They didn't need to go on Weight Watchers at that point. Healthier. They were healthier in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. The difference was noticeable between these four guys and possibly some others from Israel and the Persians that were there, and the others. The difference was noticeable. Why after 10 days? Because God intervened. Because God stepped in. You're not going to hear a case for vegetarianism this morning. It's not the point of the story. Now, now definitely healthy eating we encourage and, and support. The point of the story is that God honored His servants who stood up for Him. That's the point of the story. They looked better. They looked healthier. And so the steward, in verse 16, took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. He's like, okay, it works. I'm going to look better before the king. And they worked together and they don't defile themselves before the Most High. This small act of devotion reaped huge blessings from the Lord. And then point number five, the last section of the text, the result. God blessed the resolve to honor him. God blessed the resolve to honor him. Verse 17, as for for these four youths, God gave, you see those words again, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, which is going to come into play in the rest of the book. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we see that Nebuchadnezzar himself oversees the final test. And they all come in, and he's going to quiz them on things. He's going to see. He's test, this is an interview to see who's worthy of being in his court. Okay? And so he has a vested interest in making sure that these young men are worthy. And so King Nebuchadnezzar brings them in and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Isn't that awesome? Yahweh is most high. No question. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he's grilling them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. This wasn't just a close win. This was a blowout, guys. Ten times, it doesn't mean necessarily a literal ten times. That's a symbol that's often used in this kind of literature to say way better. Way better. This wasn't even close. This is a ten-to-one baseball game, not a two-to-one baseball game. That is how supreme Yahweh is. And Daniel, in verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now that's a little statement, but there is a lot to the statement. The first year of King Cyrus is years away and another kingdom away. In this statement, Daniel's reminding him, and the servants of Yahweh outlived your entire kingdom. Cyrus was of the Medo-Persian Empire that we're going to find out took out Babylon. And Daniel lived this long life, still serving in this capacity, into his 80s. Because he was blessed by God. These young men, because they stood for God and were determined to honor government, they became a blessing to their captors. See, one of the things that's really interesting to me is is throughout these stories, these conflicts where people stand up for Yahweh, oftentimes against government, they do it in a way where government always likes them better afterwards. They do it in a way that is appealing and honoring. But it's still honoring to God. Now certainly their peers didn't like them as much. Because they were better than them. They got the better positions. They ruled over better provinces. One of them got Hawaii instead of Siberia. I don't know. And so certainly there was envy, and we're going to see that come up later in it. But God's servants will last because they are honored by Him. Big picture that we talked about at the beginning. Yahweh is most high. And this is the first conflict between man's ways and God's ways. God won. He won the first round. He's going to win every round. Main takeaway from this confrontation. Yahweh proves he is most high yet again. He proves he is most high, so choose to obey him rather than man, but creatively honor authorities in the process. Now this story, you need to understand, this story had a good ending. This story had a creative solution. We're going to find out later in Daniel a story where there wasn't a creative solution that worked. And he had to stand for God in defiance of a government order. And we'll look at how he did that. But boy, do these verses apply to today? And and as I read this, one of my takeaways is how do I think of our authorities? Am I am I angry? Am I frustrated? Am I using demeaning names of some of our authorities? Am I assuming ill intentions where those aren't even clear? And I'm challenged at Daniel's heart here to honor God, to not defile himself before God, and to still honor authorities. And I, I ended your section with six lessons on conflict, um, conflict with Daniel, or conflict with government from Daniel. And these are more as, as we take this whole chapter. What are if we had to put these into practice? All these lessons, sort of an example of it. The first point there is make sure defiance is over the right things. Make sure defiance is over the right things. We know from other passages, God has put authority over us. He's put government over us. And, and praise God. Praise God. I mean, all this talk about defunding police, imagine a world with no police. It'd be anarchy. Imagine a world with no government. It would be anarchy. He has placed government in place, but he holds government in his hand like water. And so we need to respect government. We need to respect God. This implies, this affects all authority over us human authority, our bosses, work authority. Do we strive to honor all of them unless there is real conflict over sin? And even then, we can disobey and still honor. And so make sure defiance is over the right things. This comes to Daniel had the line in the sand at the food and the wine for whatever reason. Because it was a sin issue for him. And so we have to ask, is this actually a sin issue or a convenience issue? Is this actually a sin issue or is it an issue of my rights? This is a hard question to ask because we are masters at justifying things. I am. Which is why on even decisions on inside and outside we go to the elder board because then in the multitude of counsel, it makes sure there isn't one of us justifying. Point number two there, just following Daniel's process. Communicate and listen. Hear and understand the other side. This is why this week we spent a whole number of hours as a staff talking with government authorities, trying to find out what is actually the order, trying to find out what we could do. Trying to listen to them. Hear and understand the other side. Point number three, creatively find a way to honor government's intentions and to honor God. Village, that's why we've been outside the last six weeks. Because it wasn't sin for us to move 50 feet and still worship God together. Was it inconvenient? Yeah. It might be next Sunday. But it wasn't sin, and so we felt it was an opportunity to creatively show that we can honor those in authority over us, whether we agreed with it or not, and still meet together and honor God. Number four, pray and trust God for a way through. Pray and trust God for a way through. I like control. My, my moment of, of honesty. I'm honest otherwise at times too, but <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> I like control. I don't like being told what to do on things, on some of these things. But ultimately, can I cede control to the Most High and trust that God can take care of His church? Or do I think I need to be Most High and take care of it for Him? We need to ask that question a lot. Pray and trust God for a way through. Number five, this is sort of a, a, a conclusion. Only defy if these options have been exhausted and it is a sin issue. Only defy if these options have been exhausted and it is a sin issue. When we jump to defiance without going through these steps... I believe we are dishonoring government and sinning. We are to try to find solutions. We are to try to honor. This isn't a a time to hold press conferences and make statements of how great we are. This is a time to creatively honor and then, if necessary, defy with honor, but only if it's a sin issue. I don't know if we'll get there as as a country. I don't know what's going to happen to churches, but this is a process that my prayer is we follow. And finally, like we saw at the end, God's result, give God glory for how he works. Give God glory for how he works. Resolve to do all things for the glory of God. I want to end today by singing again. Worship team, if you can come back up, and um, we'll stand together. What do we build our life on? And we'll sing the song, Build Our Life. And I I chose this one for the end because we're to build our life on the fact that God is most high. We can take it to the bank. We can rely on it. That's what allows us to resolve to do what is right. That's what allows us to honor government and trust that God will work this out. But we need to build our lives on the firm foundation of who God is and what He's done and His work for us. So let's stand today and worship our Lord. Lord, thank you that we can meet, inside or outside, that we can meet and be your church and worship you and encourage one another. Lord, help us to carry that out of these doors right now and to stand for you this week in your name.